How do you manage scope creep in an agile project? Welcome to the Amazing App Show, a podcast for you because you want to build amazing, agile Microsoft business applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. And my goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing, agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. Welcome to another Q&A episode of the Amazing Applications Podcast. In this episode, Stephen Price asks about managing scope in agile business apps projects, specifically about managing scope creep. Stephen is a digital solution architect at ITK Consulting in Canada. Over to you, Stephen. Hello, this is Stephen from ITK Consulting, based out of Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I actually posted your question. So what is your number one question about using an agile approach for business applications? I posted that internally to our, our team of consultants. And the number one question that came back was, how best to manage scope creep in agile? Uh, we had a discussion on this, and uh, we think we have a good answer focusing on you know scope creep within a sprint as opposed to adding scope to a backlog. Uh, it would be great to get your your take on this. Thank you. So Stephen's asking about scope creep within a sprint as opposed to adding scope to a backlog, and that's an important distinction. So let's start there. But just before we get into Stephen's question, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of the Customary Academy students, Gavin Embley. Gavin is a CRM consultant at 365 in-house and joined my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course and went on to achieve his Scrum certification with Scrum.org recently. You can join Gavin by getting started with my free Agile Foundations for Microsoft Business Apps course at customary.com slash foundations. That's the word customer with a Y on the end, dot com slash foundations. In that free mini course, you can discover the basics and benefits of an agile approach and prepare to learn Scrum and build amazing applications. The scope of our product is defined by the product backlog. The product backlog defines all the work we'd like to include in our business application. The product backlog is usually bigger than our project scope because projects have an end date or a budget that limits their scope, whereas product backlogs are inherently bottomless. They're limitless. The scope of a project is usually defined by a line somewhere down the backlog that says, everything above this line is in the scope of our project, and everything below the line is out of scope for the project. The product backlog is going to continue to exist and often continue to grow even after our project is over. Even if there is no follow-on project, no subsequent phase, or no funding to keep the team going, Microsoft will continue shipping new releases that we should be testing and adopting. Users will keep finding bugs and suggesting enhancements. And leaders and managers will keep evolving their strategies and operations in response to new business opportunities and competitive pressures. All of this activity will add ideas to our product backlog, whether or not there are developers available to turn those ideas into new increments. 
So if you're with me on the distinction between the product backlog and your project scope, then the next thing we need to discuss who is responsible for the product backlog and who is responsible for the project scope. If you're using the Scrum framework to build your business applications, there's no doubt about this. The product owner is the single person with the responsibility and accountability for the product backlog. Anyone can contribute an idea to it, but the product owner is solely responsible for ordering it and can disregard any item she regards as insufficiently valuable. Even if your CEO asks the developers to work on something, we capture that request, add it to the product backlog, and the product owner assesses its value. Our application's stakeholders need to make their case to the product owner. They can't overrule the product owner and get the developers working on their favourite ideas, even if they are the CEO. Now, it might be a career-limiting move to frequently ignore your CEO, but that's the product owner's prerogative. In my Dynamics 365 and Power Apps projects, the product owner also manages the project scope. After all, the project scope is just a subset of the product backlog which the product owner is responsible for. The scope of the project and the product backlog is the sole responsibility of the product owner, but what about the sprint backlog? Again, if you're using Scrum, the Scrum guide is clear. It's the developer's responsibility to choose which items from the product backlog to include in the current sprint. Now, usually we choose items from the top of the product backlog because those are the items that the product owner has prioritized and flagged as most valuable. But if there are other items slightly farther down that the developers want to include, that's their prerogative. Again, it might be a career-limiting move to frequently ignore your product owner, but that's the developer's prerogative. When developers include items from further down the backlog, it's usually because of a technical dependency, and I always recommend explaining our reasons to the product owner and getting their agreement so that trust is maintained within our team. Great sprint backlogs are negotiated between developers and the product owner with the Scrum Master's facilitation if necessary. And once agreed, we're accountable for it as a team. Once you've set the sprint goal and agreed the sprint backlog, what happens if someone needs to or wants to change the sprint backlog? Here are five occasions when I see requests to change the sprint backlog. Number one, a new critical item is added to the product backlog. Number two, we learn something new about one of the items in our sprint backlog. Number three, an item in the current sprint uh, fails an acceptance test. Or number four, we've got less or sometimes more capacity than we expected at the beginning of the sprint. Number five, the product owner has changed her priorities. So let's go through each of those and I'll give you some of the recommendations or the, the behaviours that my teams conduct whenever those situations arise. Number one, a critical new item is added to the product backlog. It's urgent and important. It's higher priority than some of the other work in the sprint backlog. The product owner asks the developers to start working on it immediately. Now, this situation, in my experience, is infrequent, but it can and, and will happen. Developers need to be empathetic to the product owner's situation and make adjustments to the sprint backlog to accommodate the critical item. Usually, that means estimating this new critical item and pulling work out of a similar size to make way for it. The items that we're pulling out are ideally not started 
so that we're not wasting any effort. Expecting the developers at any time to take on more work than they forecast they could get done in the sprint by working harder or longer or expecting some kind of miraculous productivity improvement is an anti-pattern and one that your Scrum Master needs to watch out for. The pressure doesn't always come from the product owner. It can come indirectly from other stakeholders or the developer's line managers. Stay frosty for that anti-pattern behavior. Remember, if you're going to add a new critical item into the sprint backlog, you've got to find equal amounts of work to remove from the sprint backlog. Number two, we learn something new about one of our items. This reason is probably the most common reason for changes of scope within a sprint. It usually happens when we're reviewing or testing a product backlog item that's almost done when someone spots an issue, such as an additional acceptance criteria that we missed, or a scenario that wasn't originally included either. In these situations, I encourage the developers to make a decision. Can I include the additional work without busting the original estimate? For example, if we originally estimated the item to be a three-story point item, will the additional work push it up to a five-story point item? And will the additional work jeopardize the completion of any other items in the sprint backlog or the sprint goal? If it's a significant amount of work, or it will put the sprint goal or other items at risk, then I recommend adding a new item to the product backlog. Otherwise, I encourage the developers to try and include the extra work in this sprint. Doing the extra work now is the least expensive option because the work is fresh in our minds. Deferring it until later requires context switching, especially if this item is picked up by a different developer in a future sprint. It's always better to do it now if we can. That's why I encourage my teams to include slightly less work than they have capacity for in their sprint backlog. It enables the teams to say, sure, we can do that, more often than they say, sorry, maybe next sprint. Number three, a failing acceptance test. If your product backlog items have acceptance tests, and I recommend that you write acceptance tests just before you estimate the item or immediately as you start working on it, then what do you do if an acceptance test fails? If the test fails in the same sprint that you're building the feature, then the two people building and testing that feature should work together to resolve the issue. Don't create bugs or defects or issues or any other kind of card or product backlog item. Just have a chat, find out what the problem is and get it fixed. Tracking the issue is work that doesn't add any value and I think it should be avoided where possible. If you're performing acceptance tests after the sprint when you build the feature, uh, I think that's an anti-pattern that you need to address. It's an anti-pattern for two reasons. Firstly, you need to do some work to go and track the bug. Describe the steps to reproduce it. You need to triage it, prioritize it, retest it, and resolve it. And none of that defect management work really creates any value. Acceptance testing in the sprint, we build the feature, avoids most of that defect management work. Secondly, is the cost of context switching. There's a good chance that the developer who's fixing the bug is not the developer who built the feature. And while there's a small knowledge transfer benefit here, it's overshadowed by the cost of context switching. Picking up that new feature, learning how it works, reading the documentation, finding the root cause and fixing it all takes much longer 
when you've never seen the feature before. Now, I don't really consider a failing acceptance test as a change in scope. I consider you know, testing as part of our quality management process that needs to get done. As a scrum master, I'm trying to get a sense of how many acceptance tests are failing so that the team can discuss the potential problems there and find ways to address them. What I'm trying to avoid is testers creating issues when they don't have to. And sometimes that's because developers ask them to so that the developer can get on with a new item instead of fixing their current work. Number four, changes in capacity. During sprint planning, my teams declare their expected capacity for the upcoming sprint. Usually, we're available for 10 days in a two-week sprint, but that might not be true if you work part-time, you've got other commitments such as another project or BAU work, or you have planned leave or there's a public holiday. But we can take the team's known capacity into account when selecting the number of items to include in our sprint backlog. Our capacity might change during the sprint. It can go up if we complete some items faster than we expected, More likely, more often, it can go down if there's an unplanned absence or work takes longer than expected. And I've seen teams struggle with additions to capacity and reductions to capacity. What do you do if you've completed some items faster and you've got unexpected capacity towards the end of a sprint? Personally, I think that's a call for your product owner. It's her responsibility to maximize the value created by the developers. So it's her choice. She could choose to pay down some technical debt, resolve bugs, or ask you to start a new item. If she asks the team to start a new item, I strongly advise selecting a small item that the team is almost certain it can get done this sprint. Don't start a large item now and plan to continue working on it in the next sprint. If you've got less capacity than expected due to unplanned absence or some items taking a lot longer than expected, then again, the developers need to consult with the product owner about removing items from the sprint backlog. This is you know, never a fun conversation to have, but it's vital for our team's transparency. Immature teams will duck the conversation and hope that no one will notice. Great teams have the conversation as early as possible and ensure that there are no surprises at the sprint review, especially for the product owner. Number five. The product owner has changed her priorities. Okay, so if you thought that um, changes in the developer's capacity was a difficult conversation, this is an even tougher one. Here's how it normally goes. The product owner has been working hard to refine the product backlog, and it's in good shape at sprint planning. At the sprint planning workshop, the team devises a sprint goal, and the developers select a bunch of the backlog items that that will achieve the goal, and which they can get done this sprint. The developers start working on those items, they're writing acceptance tests and unit tests, they're developing the features, they're testing them, reviewing them with the users and getting them accepted as done. But partway through the sprint, the product owner brings the team together and tells them that she'd like them to stop working on the remaining items and she wants to pull in a different set of items instead. She wants as many as they think they can get done in the remaining time in the sprint. The cause for this kind of handbrake turn during the sprint is often that one of our product owner's stakeholders has demanded a change in direction. And for whatever reason, the product owner has decided she needs to accommodate that demand. It doesn't really matter what the reason or motivation behind the shift in priority is. 
the outcome is that the team is now in a really tough spot. Earlier versions of the Scrum Guide asked the product owner to commit to no changes during the sprint and required the product owner to cancel the sprint in situations like this where the sprint goal became obsolete. There was a paragraph or two of rules about how to cancel a sprint. In the Scrum Guide 2020, cancelling a sprint gets a one-line mention. It says, a sprint could be cancelled if the sprint goal becomes obsolete. Only the product owner has the authority to cancel the sprint. That's it. That's all it says. Cancelling the sprint is still an option, but it's not one that I would often recommend. Where possible, I recommend we do nothing. (laughs) Stick to our current course and complete the current sprint. It's likely there's only a week or a few days left. If there are one or two critical items, then refer back to scenario one about swapping out a critical item for something that's in the sprint backlog, but don't write off the remainder of a sprint with a dramatic change in direction. Partway through any sprint, and the developers usually have a lot of work in progress, they are focused and dialed in on the current sprint goal and the sprint backlog. Product owners can terminate the sprint or negotiate massive changes to the remainder of the sprint backlog, but in either case, the developer's productivity will crater. They're partway through the sprint, they're dialed in, they're focused on that goal and the sprint backlog, and their work in progress is at its high point. Significant changes will cause most of that work in progress to be wasted. It's just going to get written off. And they'll lose more time trying to switch context and adjust their focus to the new priorities. In these situations, Scrum Masters need to provide strong guidance to the product owner, help her calculate the hard costs of that lost productivity, ensure that the costs and consequences are understood and accepted by her and the applications of their stakeholders if they want to go ahead and cancel the sprint. Sure, I mean, we're agile, right? But we benefit from a few days or a few weeks of stability so that we can get valuable work done and released into production. Changing our mind every couple of days or changing our mind in the middle of sprints isn't agile. That's kind of chaotic. So just for a quick recap, here are the scenarios and my recommendations. Number one, new critical items. Handle these by taking out other unstarted items of equal size. Number two, changes to an item. Unless significant, handle these within the sprint. That's why we don't overcommit in our sprint backlog. Number three, failing tests. Not really a scope change, but can look like new scope if it leads to new items being added to the product backlog. And definitely something we should handle within the sprint. Number four, changes in capacity. If capacity is more than expected, consult with a product owner and add a small item that you can get done in the remainder of the sprint. If capacity is less than expected, consult with the product owner and remove items from the sprint if necessary. Number five, the final one, was a change in the product owner's priorities. In these situations, I think our Scrum Master needs to coach our product owner and stakeholders that agility requires stability for a week or two. But if absolutely necessary, then cancel the sprint. Stephen, I hope that helps you and your team and your clients consider some of the scenarios of changing scope in the middle of a sprint and how I guide my teams to handle them. Perhaps you've got different ideas for handling scope changes or you've faced other scope changing scenarios. 
Let me know. Visit the Amazing Applications page on LinkedIn and leave a comment in the post for this episode. That's all for this episode and for the Amazing Apps podcast in 2020. Thanks for sticking with me or joining me as we switched over from the Scrum Dynamics show in back in June. Scrum and agile approaches to implementing business applications are very much still part of the show, but I hope you've learned something from all the episodes, whether they've been about agile approaches or not. Let me know if you have a story to share about how your team built an amazing power platform or Dynamics 365 application, whether you're a Microsoft customer or an implementation partner or an ISV with an amazing story. I'd love to help you share it on this podcast. To do that, visit customary.com slash guest and you can find out more about appearing on the next interview season coming up early next year. I've already got some great interviews recorded and others lined up and I'd love you to join me too. Finally, whether you're celebrating Christmas and New Year in the middle of summer, like me, I hope you and your family and your teams stay safe, stay well and keep sprinting. <laughs>